Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Knowledge Football Dynasty Podcast. I'm Sonny and I'm your host. Welcome back. What's going on? Hope you're doing well. So I've got another episode for you today. It is a little bit different than what we've been doing. It's not going to be so much player talk. In fact, it's going to be very little player talk. Um, What we're going to dive into today is a little more negotiation talk. I've been jonesing to talk about some of this trade tactics and some different things that I've been studying and learning. And I've been trying to figure out how to correlate some of these things I've learned from books and such um, into usable things for us as dynasty players. And so today I kind of wanted to start. It's There's just so much information in this regard, and I'm just trying to piece it out. I've got a lot of different ideas to share with you. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to set a foundation and then kind of put out different podcasts with more intent of just talking social psychology slash uh, negotiation trade talk. So if you make it to the end, I will I will give you um, a little a little treat, a little surprise. I'll give you my top five uh, picks, rookie picks, if one 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 through one five. If I was stuck and had to make a pick at each of those positions. I'll go ahead and give you the guy I would take at each of those positions, uh, which is probably a little different than some of the ones you've been seeing. But if you've been listening to my podcast, you probably could guess pretty close. Um, but anyway, that's that's it for um, the intro. Now, because I am using a lot of different social psychology um, techniques, tactics, ideas, and negotiation tactics and such, I thought it would be prudent to share with you some of the books and authors that I've been reading from. Just because, not necessarily because I'm not really going to be plagiarizing or using their content. In fact, I kind of will be just giving synopsis based on how we can use it in Dynasty. And and there's a lot of stuff that's not usable, so I kind of find myself fishing through a lot of it. But also, I think that some of these books, a few of them really do deserve some credit. I just think there's a lot to be learned, and and they've been, I was really felt I got a benefit out of it. So that was, I thought, something that I could share for you because. That's the other thing. I think these are all resources that if you do find this interesting and you want to do a little of your own study and kind of strengthen your negotiation tactics, uh, then some of these books will help. So I'm just going to read off some of the books that I've been reading that I think um, have kind of helped me. And I'll be taking different ideas or have you know, have all these different ideas a lot based on some of these different philosophies and different strategies and things. So one is and maybe the, the best and, and most important one is Influence by the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Caldini. Uh, this book is actually, in large part, a basis for a lot of these other books. Where a lot of times, um, other books, especially when they talk about psychology uh, and, and reference different tests and different things that have gone on, a lot of them are referencing Robert Caldini's books. So if you're going to get into some of the, some of the social psychology, it's either Robert Caldini or you want to read about um, Amos Traversky and Danny Kenneman. I think the best way to do that would be reading Michael Lewis's book, The Undoing Project. I found that to be a fascinating read. Also learned a lot about psychology and also these guys' ideas, uh, which you can also research in other ways. Negotiation Genius by Deepak Mahotra and Max Bazerman. Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Dark Psychology by Stephen Turner. That one was interesting, and I'll talk about it in a second. Winner's Guide to Negotiation, Molly Fletcher. Never Split the Difference, Negotiating negotiating as if your life depended on it, Chris Voss. Exactly What to Say, Magic Words for Influence and Impact, Phil Jones. The Art of Negotiation on Audible, The Great Courses. So that's pretty much the gist of it. 
I will say that most of these books I found valuable and I definitely would recommend as a read. I wouldn't recommend the dark psychology one only because I found it a little disingenuous. Most of these books kind of teach you something about human nature and people's reactions and things. And this one, um, while it was informative, it kind of synopsized a lot of these different books into one book. It took a lot of stuff from other people. But what really bugged me about the book, and this is why I want to mention it, is that it took this whole premise, it kind of described Machiavellianism and how um, there's these people who just take advantage. And that it described everything it was trying to teach you. It described it in how somebody terrible um, would go about doing it to you. So that it was very clear to me that what they were trying to do was teach you these tactics and how to implement them. At the same time, they were trying to put it, uh, explain it as if they were trying to teach you how to not have these things done against you. And that's, these are terrible things that you'd never want to do to anybody else. And I just think, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you guys. You guys are my listeners. Let me tell you, I'm here to teach you this stuff, to use it on other people. But these are not your family member, and these are not things that I'm teaching you to use um, and, you know, on things that matter to people you love. This is in terms of dynasty football. We're going to use some of these tactics. Yes, they are manipulative. Yes, they take advantage of other people maybe when they don't know. Um, but at the same time, what, what you don't realize if you actually think that's the case and you're, you're going to uh, feel righteous in the sense that, okay, I, I don't do that kind of thing, understand that all transactions, all relations with people, negotiations are based in manipulation. That's what you do. It's just a matter of whether you're getting manipulated or you're going to do the manipulation um, and, and those kind of things. So at worst, you can learn from these things to not have them be used against you. Ideally, you learn some of these tactics to put into use and you actually gain from them and still have that use of being able to defend when you see them being trying to be used against you. So I'm going to try to go ahead and just get to it and, and keep it as simple as possible. I know it will get a little heady and wordy, um, but I just want to be able to kind of spill out these ideas and start with the foundation. So the foundation we're going to build today is we're going to be talking about um, just the base of starting the negotiations because I think there's a there's a, a lot of people think that they know how to go in a negotiation. And the more I read in some of these books and stuff, the more I think, you know, I think dynasty fantasy football players, while intuitively we have a lot of good ideas and actually implement some of these things naturally, we actually have really terrible process. We go into th- almost never prepared and uh, we don't have a general idea of exactly what we're looking to do or we don't usually put into place um, some of the key practices that can really help us be uh, more effective at trading and really getting the value in the trade, regardless of what you know, what or how that trade goes down. So let's start with that. Let's talk about uh, the basis for what what is negotiation. What so I'm I'm going to start you with something I've talked about in a long time ago in last year's podcast. Uh, but that's a, it's a spiritual philosophy that basically says when you meet somebody, you're not just meeting them. You you're meeting the them that they think they are the them that you think they are, and the them that they really are. And they're meeting the you that you think you are, the you that they think you are, and the you that you really are. And all six of those personalities have to kind of interact in one conversation because you, as the conversation begins and it it goes through different layers, you're kind of using different personalities. You're trying to figure out which voice, whether... Do they think it's, you know, this is the this is the them I want me to think? And so in negotiation, I think it's really important to look at it that way because it's very much that way in terms of the players that and pieces that we're putting up 
and how we value them and how we want them to value them and how they are truly valued. Um, so that is the first thing. And I find that the, the, one of the most important things uh, from what I've learned in negotiation tactics is to start that negotiation talk is pretty crucial to start with building trust. And there's ways you can build trust. Oftentimes, the best way to build trust is to share information. Uh, that doesn't mean share your good information or share why you're there. We've talked about this in the past. You pretty much never want to just go in and say, hey, this is the guy I'm looking at. I really want him. There's ways that you can kind of show interest even in particular players, but you also want to be able to show that you're just you know there with some kind of goal in mind. Uh, that goal could be a lot of different things, helping your running back situation, uh, checking on, on available wide receivers, uh, trying to move up or down in a, in a draft. A lot of ways you can approach somebody that gives a reason. You're, you're sharing information. You come into the negotiation uh, showing your, part of your hand, saying, look, I'm here and I'm ready to deal for this reason. And so that's the other thing. Remember, we've talked before um, about the word because and how powerful the word because is in just social psychology. You always want to use the word because uh, and follow it up with something, a good reason, preferably a good reason. If you have no good reason, then a reason uh, will suffice. But usually you want to have a good reason to follow up your because. And that just kind of, we'll talk about in a minute, that helps solidify and give strength to um, different proposals that you make. It also starts that trust process with that person. And that's super important um, to the beginning stages of a negotiation. So, I, you know, there's a lot of trade sending that goes on, and, and we can talk about that in other podcasts. And I think there is a place for that. So it can be effective, especially when you have some people in your leagues. If you're not in big money leagues and there's some people who are kind of boneheaded and just don't do player evaluation very well, you might find that, yeah, just sending a trade offer. It, can get results. But I don't like to bank on, you know, finding somebody who I feel is not very up to par with their being nice, I would say idiot, but, you know, someone who's not up to par with their player evaluation, it's rare this day and age. And I don't think we want to be spending our time and energy sending out tons and tons of trades that are poor trade offers just with the hopes that we can get something done. I think it's more effective to start not only the conversation and learn a little bit of info and kind of find out quickly whether that's even going to be fruitful or not, but also it, it strengthens our negotiation skills and negotiation abilities. Just like anything else, they are a muscle, and they're something that needs working uh, and kind of development. And so that's to me, you know, when, when I've talked about this and when I originally started the podcast, one of the main reasons I started was because I really feel like there's so much emphasis on player analysis, but there's just not enough emphasis on a few of the other things that actually can help us in bigger, maybe they're a smaller piece of the pie, but they actually have not been tapped yet. They're just kind of untapped pieces of the pie where we can actually um, really do some work. So getting back to the, the negotiation, that first step is, is, is a lot of different ways to go about it. But when you want to, when you're approaching somebody about talking trades, you want to kind of just be able to build some trust. And oftentimes that's just, you know, sometimes you have trust with these people and that means real trust. That doesn't mean fake trust. This is, these are the kind of relationships that you want to be fruitful for a long time and you want them to be satisfied with the transaction. And I'll talk more about that later. That does not always mean them getting the good side of the deal. Them being satisfied in the negotiations has a lot to do with just their mental uh, feeling of how the negotiations went down, not necessarily how the end results happened because they wouldn't have made the trade if they didn't want to in some way. There's usually reasoning behind that, and, and we don't have to worry about that. We just have to worry about getting to that and then, and then getting the value on top of that based on a few little 
maneuvers in in negotiation. So that first step is is crucial to just get trust to to build some kind of rapport with the person, kind of have a, a good a feeling of back and forth where they're giving you a little bit of information, you're giving them a little information. You both have kind of agreement that maybe there is some kind of deal that's possible to be made. Uh, and just in terms of they have goals, there's something that they might want to uh, look into doing and you have goals and you might want to look into doing. You're not just completely happy with your rosters. The, the key thing, and we're not going to go too, this is not going to go deep, too deep in this podcast. I want to c- talk about a couple key things. So the, the most important thing I think about this podcast is going to be, I think most perception in dynasty football, most of us perceive that it's best to let somebody else make that initial offer. That usually what I find when I'm in, like in going in the Slack or the group me kind of discussion, I find that the the people that I'm talking with will kind of, it's always just a hint to like, hey, hey, why don't you make an offer? Why don't you, you know, it's like you start talking about, well, why don't you just make an offer and we can go from there. And why don't you, nobody wants to be the one to make that first offer. It feels like for whatever reason, most people assume that the advantage is had when somebody else makes you the offer and therefore you get the information first. You can kind of uh, hope that they make a real bad mistake right out of the gate and you can just accept the trade or you can hope that uh, they make, you know, they just share their information a little bit. But that's not usually what happens. What usually happens when we're in these negotiations with savvy players that we're, you know, about to start negotiations with is that somebody makes a trade offer and it's usually a disappointing trade offer. So what I want to start with is talking about that that initial trade offer. Because that first offer, which is called the anchor, which becomes the anchor, is the starting point and the reference point for the rest of the discussions regarding that deal. So actually, in most negotiation situations, you want to be the one to make that first offer because if you make a good first offer, one that sets the bar high, that sets your value where you want it, at its maximum and still is within their reach or still not completely unreasonable and you can still explain it. Remember I said the word because? Uh, This is a perfect way um, to decide which things qualify and which things don't. If you can put the word because and give an answer that you feel decent about, doesn't have to be great, fantastic, but that somehow you can verbalize a decent answer to back that up, then that probably, once you get to the point where you're starting to find that you can't do that, then that's where your borderline is. So look at in terms of where can I get, and there's a peak and then there's a bottom. And that bottom is essentially you need to go in and know what is the lowest, you know, said player. Say I'm looking for Joe Mixon and I want Joe Mixon and I got, you know, one seven and Sterling Shepard. And that's kind of like, I would be willing to take one seven and Sterling Shepard. I'd be willing to give that up for Joe Mixon. And that's pretty good. I, I'd probably be willing to give a little bit more, but I'm not looking at values right now. I'm just kind of throwing throwing things out there. But for me, looking at that and saying, okay, this is my baseline that I would take that. Now build on that. Where's where's my high, high number? So coming in with those two things allows you um, just some comfort in knowing that your things aren't going to get away from you. Um, because I've talked about this in before, negotiations, going into negotiations is very much like go, running into a burning building full of gold. And that gold is there for you, uh, and you can really get some value and collect a lot of gold. But there's times when things, you know, can just fall, and next thing you know, you get burned badly if you're not careful. And that's where um, we talked about the negotiation no, and working on no, and working on the ability to just get out of that room and get yourself out of there by kind of pulling back from negotiations when they go sideways. And so that's something we'll else we'll go back to, but. When it comes to this initial steps and just gaining this initial 
process and learning how to constantly do this when we go into relationships, its first step is to get a rapport, regardless of if you know the person, you like the person, you don't like the person, doesn't matter. Step into that negotiation with a, a first step to get that rapport going. Don't come into it assuming that you have a good relationship. If it's someone you know, uh, don't come into it assuming that you don't. Just come into it open-minded and try to create that rapport right within the negotiations. Start with that. Start with building genuine trust, which means you have to be genuine. You have to share genuine information. Doing that will allow them to let their guard down a little bit. Um, it's the reciprocity where you share a little information. They're going to share a little information. You both start loosening up a little bit. And also, you're sharing your goals. Be honest about your goals. Come in saying, it's just, you know, you don't want to share all of your goals. This is the player I want, and this is how much I want to pay for him. You want to come in saying, these are, you know, these are the kind of things I'm looking for on my team. This is the kind of, you know, I'm, I'm looking to make a deal to improve this or to improve that. It kind of like sets the stage for these next steps that will essentially set the price um, that then the, the deal will be negotiated from. And, and a lot of times, even if, Say you, you talk about a price and you've set the anchor on somebody uh, by making this offer to them, you'll find that even if they go away and they decide, no, I don't want to talk about it right now, if they do come back, that anchor will still be the original uh, baseline for the negotiation. And one thing I've learned is that you don't want to actually push back. You don't, you, if, if someone comes to you, and this is now we'll kind of switch, the, switch sides, um, and this is something I see really commonly done in, in in negotiation tr- talks pretty much with everybody is that when if you do make someone a bad offer or someone does get a bad offer they immediately you know kind of push back and want to point out why it's a bad offer or why they disagree or why they wouldn't accept the offer but if that's still within that realm where it's not so ridiculous that they don't trust you anymore um, but is still enough to kind of push their buttons where they start pointing out that opens actually a door where it solidifies that as the anchor because now the conversation really surrounds that anchor because they're going to give you that argument of why okay no i don't think that's a good offer that's you know this is why let me tell you you're not meeting my standards but it opens the door for you then to then make your pushback as to why maybe it is and also to ask questions um, which we'll get into more later which is gathering information Uh, the more information you can gather the more you can find out about players they maybe value that you on your roster that you have no use for um, or players that they maybe don't value that you do Um, that's where you can kind of find extra wins thrown in or ways to shift that conversation from being uh, what initially seemed like a bad that they weren't going to be happy with it and then finding out that all it took was really just a different player uh, switched on both sides both players still worked for you and they happen to now work for them these things happen, and that's the way you get there is by starting that dialogue. Another way to get to this, and we're gonna in a future podcast, I'm gonna talk more about this, but is is sending multiple offers of similar uh, similar offers to a person, so that you're giving them, um, and maybe not even sending them, like I said, trade sending, but just giving them a couple different options, saying, hey, what about uh, this guy and this guy and this pick, or this guy, this guy and the pick. You know, switching out one of the players for a comparable guy for you. And seeing where that leads, because even if they say no to both of them, uh, you may say, "Well, which one favors you more? Uh, which one should I work on?" You know, any way, any way to get one of those anchors kind of stuck, where it starts to be like, "Well, I would this one wouldn't be that bad." Bingo! I got you. I got. We're talking about it now. We've got it in. 
And remember, when you set that anchor, you're setting it high. You found somewhere where you really kind of, and this is gonna, this is where the art comes in. This is where it's not easy to just be able to, um, in terms of each person is different, and, and knowing what they value, and knowing uh, these are why you need to always be listening when people are talking and paying attention to who they listen to when it comes to podcasts and all their different trade calculators. So get into their head, find out what information they take seriously, and then use that information uh, then to approach them. So this is kind of it for the podcast in terms of, of I want to just share these ideas. I want you to start thinking about that. First of all, get rapport with the person and, and make sure that you've got um, you know a friendly relation and really can build true trust with them uh, because the negotiations will go a lot smoother. From there, be willing to make that first offer. In fact, want to make that first offer. So let me switch one, one other thing. So when I talked about just in case this happens to you where somebody else makes the offer to you, let's just say that actually happens to you where you don't and they make that offer and they set that anchor high. What do I do? What, what do we do? So there is actually it's not that hard to defer. What you do is you don't acknowledge it. You don't say, well, we're going to agree to disagree because if you just ignore it and say, well, it's still been placed. It's still in the consciousness. You have to give without pushing back too hard and without making it you have to disregard it and give reasons why it is not in in play at all and give another option so you're giving the counter option you're giving it and you're putting it on the table and making sure that you squash it you have to do that in the negotiation and allow them to reset their negotiation window where they've now gone okay i'm pushing this on them but i see clearly that he's dropped it way lower than i expected and I'm going to have to come down. Um, and that's the only way to do it. And it's not ideal, though. In fact, a lot of times that other, it's going to be hard to get away from that initial offer. And that's why I suggest keep open-minded about you being the one to, to make that initial offer. Just also be open-minded to the fact that don't be ridiculous because you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to uh, burn all the bridges. Uh, I know people in my leagues that, that I don't want to deal with because I almost never get a good offer from them. And there's no way they're ever going to get into me and get, you know, a chance to kind of set that that anchor with me so that we can start building around it. But if there's guys that I trust and we're working on a deal and they happen to start finding guys that I value that they don't, they might end up finding a, a deal where it's very valuable to them um, in one way or another, whether I'm stupid or whether I just I ended up not valuing the guy the way they did. There's just ways that we all can be taken advantage and we can all kind of take advantage of little opportunities and it's simple as coming in um, making your your presence known and your intentions clear come to them with you know oftentimes it's better to come not just with an angle of what your needs are what your um, we're going to talk about uh, in a future podcast in terms of negotiation creating value and then also claiming value and a lot of times what we do is claim value by saying this is what you know this is what i have to offer when you're looking at the situation you're approaching them with a with a, a proposal you can also be looking at it from their situation too. So you're saying, you know, here's my needs or this is how I'm coming from and I'm, I'm trying to do this. But also I noticed that you may need wide receiver or I heard you say that you were interested in draft picks. I might be willing to trade some of my draft picks. Whatever it is to open that conversation to give them the feeling that you're there to meet their needs as well as have your needs taken care of because you're not there. You're not going to just say, I'm here to help you. No, you're, I'm here to help me if it can help you too. And that's always a great way to start it one way or another. Then you get into uh, finding a way to make that initial offer and make one that you feel like they can at least understand where you're coming from. And, uh, and then from there, who knows? I mean, you, like I said, how far down you have to work is up to you and, and how far you know the negotiations may not work out. But 
you have to just kind of try these different things to learn those limits. You have to learn and you have to, to know what your limit is and also kind of have a plan coming in. So, okay, enough of the social psychology for today. I know it can just be really wordy. It's exhausting for me to talk about, so I'm sure it's exhausting to listen to. So if you stuck through it, good, good for you. I'm going to go ahead and just get into the second part of the podcast now. Okay, and it's going to be a little bit shorter of, of a segment, but I think it's worth doing. Honestly, the part of the reason I'm throwing it in here and just kind of it's more for fun for me. I'm going to be trying to uh, put myself on the spot and give you guys an idea if I'm if I'm stuck in a position and have to pick there what I'm going to take and what's if what's available to me. There's we are all going to be stuck where we may not ideally want to be there. I think especially in this draft, man. I tell you, the reason I'm going, I'm giving you my one through five is because I don't really know what I'm going to do if I'm 1 through, you know, 6 through 12. I don't, I'm not, uh, yikes, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to need more input. Uh, NFL draft being probably the main input there. Um, so anyway, I'm going to give you my 1 through 5 as it stands right now. It's just pretty much how I feel. If I'm stuck at that pick, 1-1, 1-2, 1-3, whatever it is, who I'm going to take. So, you know, it can stand to reason that if I'm at 1-3 and the guy that I would take at 1-1 is available, then I will take him. But otherwise, this would be the guy i take if they're not available. So my 1-1 in this draft, uh, based on just what I've seen and what my gut tells me, uh, as long as he gets drafted in, the, in a fairly good position as the bell cow, is Josh Jacobs. I think with the running back value the way they are, and I'm going to be doing an episode on Josh Jacobs at some point, but he really, to me, is is the top running back for sure, and maybe the top player just because running backs are so important, and wide receivers, there's just a lot more available to us later. Um, so if you're going to get a running back, you have to almost be at 1-1 or 1-2 or you know otherwise, or you're just taking shots on a lot of these guys that I, I don't think anybody has a lot of confidence in, or at least all of them have some sort of weaknesses. Um, so that's my 1-1, one, one, Josh Jacobs. My 1-2, it's tough for me. I am going to say DK Metcalf. Uh, as of right now, I do think that his amazing upside, his ability to just stretch the field and make big plays, uh, and just maybe the potential overall value of a player when we talk about guys who can just shoot through the roof. I'm not seeing him be one of these busty type players. I could be wrong. I, I think that a lot of people forget that he comes from a family of football players. He has multiple uh, family members, uncles and fathers or something that, you know, like nine-year veteran. Eric Metcalf, I was a Broncos fan and watched Eric Metcalf with the, the Cleveland Browns, and he was a stud, and he was you know not nearly the same body type. But I'm just saying, you know, I've, I heard rumors somewhere, I was on a podcast, that the, and so I have no way to say that this is true, but I heard that he did, you know, a 100-pound bench press at five years old somewhere, that, you know, these are the kind of things that, this kid has been in training, you know, the 1.9% or 1.6% or whatever they want to call it, body fat. That means that this guy is dedicated um, regardless if he can't run. I think it's so funny. It's like, oh, my God, Tom Brady's the punters are better at the three-cone. It's like, okay, well, that does not stop the fact that the cornerback still can't cover him. And they were saying his 10-yard split uh, was one of the fastest uh, you know, and so of all the players, including the small guys who should have a lot more burst, he comes out of the gate really fast, and then he's running a four-three-three. Uh, he actually, to me, it looked like he beat Andy Isabella from the replay. But anyway, onward. I, I for this point, even though I don't feel great about it, and honestly, I would probably just prefer to trade back a couple spots, gain some value, and take somebody else. If I'm stuck there, I'm stuck at one-two, and I have to make the call. Uh, DK Metcalf is the call right now. Uh, number three, so this one is a little bit maybe of a surprise unless you listen to the last podcast. 
Um, but I don't know that I can get him much later. I was hoping I would be able to get him at the end of the first round. I'm feeling like that's completely gone now. And I'm going to see if I can't be trading up to like the one five, one six area and hoping that he's there or hoping that he slides there and then I can trade up. And that is Paris Campbell. I love Paris Campbell. Uh, very excited about his po- possibilities of career. I think he has a humongous upside. It's very close for me with him and A.J. Green. Uh, depending on the situation, I might take A.J. Green depending on my roster and things like that. But just I usually lean towards upside. I think I hear a lot of people talk about winning championships with floor, but I think that's nonsense. I think you win championship with upside. Floor is the most easily replaceable thing. We can always find guys. You know, Frank Gore can give you floor last year. You can find floor. You can't find ridiculous upside, especially once it's been proven, once it's shown up. So you have to take the bets on the upside before it does, and that's you know that's how you build the juggernaut. So to me, you know, I, I most situations I find myself, um, and also I like to take players I like, and I've had this thing where I just really loved watching Paris Campbell, and I have I like the really fast guys. I like guys who have that juice. And I think he's one of those players. And I think that he's underrated in a sense that I don't think he's just a a one-trick pony Cordell Patterson type wide receiver. I think that he's going to develop to be a stud. And a stud with that kind of speed um, just really excites me. So obviously if I'm taking, and I just told you it was that close, and obviously number four is A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown to me is is just a no-brainer stud player. You know, I, I think that him playing only in the slot might limit his overall potential, especially when it comes to like red zone touchdowns. He's going to have to, you know, maybe more like a Jarvis Landry plus something like that. But I just see so much potential. I loved watching him. Um, I love how smooth he is, how, how he's really showed a lot of athleticism at the combine. So that, that kind of checked that box. And then just his strength, uh, his production, all those things are there. And I would feel really comfortable taking AJ Brown at number four, and those four are really the four I feel most comfortable about. Once we get to number five, I will say I would take Nikhil Harry, but I'm going to say that it's not super. I'm not super strong about that, and honestly, I doubt I'll have that problem because from what I've seen on Twitter and heard on podcasts, and just kind of the the sense to me is that Nikhil Harry is the number one, and somehow he just came out of nowhere. That the, the combine him running a four five four was enough for everyone to go gaga that he's going to be the man. Not enough for me. I, like I said, I didn't see him being overly impressive. I was happy that he reached those, you know, that he's faster than the thought. And I will, like I said, that kind of makes me excited. I would take him, but I, I don't see myself taking him mainly because I feel like um, I would be taking other guys ahead of him. And I think he's going right now on the front of the pack from what I see. So that's my top five. Those are the guys. After that, there's a lot of question marks. I, I really have some concerns. I, I have a lot of picks at the end of the first round. And honestly, this might be the year... Um, you know, I'm always dissing defense and going, you know, trying to fade all the defensive players. But I got to say, this might be the year that I have to sneak in there and try to, if there's a, a Nick Bosa or something there for me, I might have to do it. Um, because the leagues I play, and this shout out to you, Charlie. I, I get a bunch of emails from Charlie, this listener. He's constantly emailing me with ideas. And I can just sense that he does not like me telling him that he should be fading defense. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, so I, I think that there's a part of him that loves defensive players. And so, this is one of the years because I've, you know, the, the advantage of taking, you know, of really loading up on offense over the years is that you can take that risk other years um, and just try for a defensive player you love. Last year, Tremaine Edmonds was a guy I really targeted, and I got him in second rounds, and there was other players, you know, offensive players that I loved ahead of him, but those teams, I felt like it was time to, to nab some top-end defensive talent, and uh, that's great. You have that luxury when you've got so much on offense. And some teams who just keep on plugging away at defense, they get to the point where they need to get some offensive stars, and so they have to take the risk on a guy they may not love as much. 
and they have they're not they don't have that luxury to just be able to take a surefire defensive player. I think the the Nick Bosa's are one of the few that at least in the, my format and the scoring I play in, the defensive ends, the top end guys, the guys like that, uh, they do really become valuable and they become a, a real competitive edge. So that's something that's creeped into my mind. And he, he could very well go before I even get that chance at 112 and 111 and stuff. But we'll see. That's just something that I've started to go, you know what, that's actually a possibility because there's so many other guys um, that I can give or take or that I think I could get a guy late second or late third that's comparable on offense that uh, I might just take that risk. So anyway, that's the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you guys want to get a hold of me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Big Knowledge FO1. It's Big Knowledge Football. Or you can email the show at BigKnowledgeFootball at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, I appreciate any kind of subscribe. Um, Five-star reviews are really appreciated. So anything you can do to support the show, I appreciate it. And uh, that's it. So thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon.